Turn to John, chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptising more disciples than John. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you, are now, you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors, they worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where you must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I the one who is speaking to you, I am he. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your words. Lord, we thank you for the way that it challenges us and inspires us and encourages us. Lord, the way it speaks to our very soul. And this morning, as we open up this very familiar passage together once again, we ask, Lord God, that we will, above everything, hear your voice. Lord, speak to us individually, speak to us as a church. Lord, may we know the direction you are calling us to go and walk together. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Amen. I wonder if you've ever had a time in your life where you have faced significant barriers to something that you are trying to do. I remember probably about eight or nine years ago when I was a youth worker in Brixham, we decided, myself and Gemma, that we were not going to buy each other Christmas presents this particular year, but we were going to pull our money together and we were going to save up and go on a nice romantic trip to Barcelona in the following January. So that's what we did. We didn't buy each other presents. We put all of our money to going on this particular trip. We were really excited about going on it. I was the only one working at the time. We had two very small children so we didn't have a lot of money so this was kind of a big deal for us at the time anyway a few days before we were about to depart on this trip to Barcelona Gemma gets sick and there I am thinking bam there goes our break in Spain it's not going to happen now anyway Gemma starts to feel a little bit better a couple of days before we were about to go but this bug that she had 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 left her feeling extremely fragile so being the kind caring considerate husband that I am I told her to pull herself together because we're not going to waste the money that we have put on this trip and we were going to go come what may to Barcelona Anyway, the day before we were due to travel to Barcelona, we turned on the TV and we saw the weather forecast. And it said, tonight, thick snow is going to engulf the entire country. So I'm thinking, oh my goodness, we live in Brixham, we've got to get to Bristol. There's no way that we're going to be able to do it if it snows heavily overnight. So I went online and I booked the cheapest hotel that I could find in Bristol for that particular night and said, right, we're going today, we're going to chance it, we're going to get to Bristol. So that's what we did we dropped the kids off at the grandma's on the way and we say they're yours for an extra day congratulations we're off and we go to Bristol and sure enough overnight it started to snow and boy oh boy did it snow we woke up to thick layers of snow right across the city but not to be deterred we made our way to the airport and we had a 12 o'clock midday flight and we get to the airport in plenty of time and we get there and it says there's a two-hour delay on our flight so we thought that's not too bad I can cope with a two-hour delay on our flight at least we're going to get to go to Barcelona two hours quickly turned into four hours Four hours quickly turned into six hours. Six hours quickly turned into eight hours. Eight hours almost turned into ten hours. Now, the thing is, when it gets to ten hours, the airline company, they're obliged to offer you a refund. They're obliged to offer you compensation and a refund. So we get into about nine and a half hours and... The encouragement within me is, is sapping at this point. I'm thinking, do you know what? Let's just take the refund. Let's go home. We'll enjoy another night in Bristol. Nine hours and 40 minutes comes on the clock. And the airline, they usher us onto the plane. They realise that this deadline's coming up. And they usher us and say, the plane's ready. We're ready to go. Only to leave us for another two hours sitting on a plane waiting to go abroad. We finally make it to Barcelona probably at about 3am. Bearing in mind we were going home on the Sunday evening, on the Saturday morning, we finally make it. By this time we're absolutely exhausted 
and the bug that Gemma had 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 found its way to me. So we spent the entire weekend just laying on a bed in the city. I think we managed a half an hour walk the entire weekend that we were there. We didn't even get to go and see the new camp, which I'll be honest was my entire motivation for going to Barcelona at this particular point. And it was pretty, pretty dreary as nice romantic weekends go. I wonder if you've ever come across a time in your life where you have faced significant barriers to something that you were trying to do today. As we come to this penultimate week in our series called The Comeback, I want to look at a woman together who had significant barriers to faith. And I want to look at how Jesus was willing to break down every single one of those barriers in order not only to change her life, but to use her to change the lives of many, many different people around her through her testimony of uh, change. This is a story I am sure that if you have been in church for any length of time, you will know very, very well. It takes place in Samaria. Verse 3 shows us that Jesus was travelling from Judea, which was in the south, to Galilee, which is in the north, and he passes through this place called Samaria. And when he gets to Samaria, he's tired from the journey that he's already taken. He knows he's got a few days left to travel. So he stops off by a well. His disciples go off and they go to buy food. And he's sitting there. A woman comes up and she starts to draw water. And Jesus turns to this woman and he asks her to give him a drink. And this was the beginning of a conversation which would completely and utterly change her life forever. We see in verse 7 of our chapter today that she had simply come to draw water. That's all she came to do. She had no idea who Jesus was. But by the time we get to chapter 30, uh, verse 39, a bit on in this passage, her life had been totally and utterly transformed, so much so that the lives of others were impacted. We read that many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything that I ever did. But her impact went further than that too. Because then what we see is that Jesus was urged to stay with the Samaritans. And in verse 42, if we had carried on reading, we would have read these words. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. But in so many ways, the barriers in front of this woman to getting to the point where she saw Jesus for who he truly is were so big that this is such a miraculous encounter that she has. And this morning, I want us to look at those barriers, look at how Jesus breaks each and every one of those barriers down. And then I want us to ask personally, and maybe as a church, what are the barriers in my life right now? which are keeping me from Jesus? What are those things? Maybe self-erected things, maybe circumstances, maybe situations, maybe people, which are keeping me from truly, truly drawing close to Jesus at this point in my life. First of all, though, let's look at this woman. The very first barrier that this woman encounters in our passage today is the barrier of race. I really find it interesting in John chapter 4, when we read the words that... Jesus had to go to Samaria. That's what it says. 
Jesus had to go to Samaria. The reality is he didn't have to go to Samaria. You see, although the most direct route of travel was to go through Samaria, Jews would go out of their way to avoid going to Samaria because they simply hated the Samaritans. Why? Well, what we see in the lives of the Samaritans is they had this kind of mixture of the truth mingled in with all kinds of false ideas and false idol worship. We read this about the Samaritans in 2 Kings 17 and verse 33. They worship the Lord, but they also serve their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had been brought. So as a result of this kind of weird mix of religion that the Samaritans had, the Jews despised them. And on top of that, Not only was this woman a Samaritan, she was also a woman. Jewish men were not supposed to speak to women in public, especially Samaritan women. So the fact that we read that Jesus had to go to Samaria seems rather odd. Perhaps a better understanding is that Jesus was compelled to go to Samaria. You see, because regardless of race, regardless of background, regardless of gender, Jesus is drawing to himself every culture, every person, no matter who they are, no matter how they've lived, no matter what they've done. So race was the first barrier that this woman faced. The second barrier that we see in this woman's life is the barrier of religion. Because of this kind of weird mixture of religious influences that this woman had, it made it incredibly hard for the Samaritans to have any kind of real faith in Christ. I mean, take this woman, for example. She clearly had some sort of religious understanding, didn't she? Over the course of the conversation that she has with Jesus, we see in verse 20 her say this. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus' response to her is, woman, you worship what you do not know. You see, she had a religious tradition, but she didn't know the gift of God for herself. One of the biggest barriers to genuine faith in Christ is religious tradition. Because often, those who are steeped in religious tradition have been close enough to see Jesus and close enough to gain some sort of understanding of faith and some sort of understanding of the truth. But often, they're so close that they're almost blinded to what is right there in front of their noses. I wonder if there's anyone who can identify with that here in the room or online today. Maybe you've been coming to church your entire life. You can recite the Lord's Prayer. You know lots of scripture verses off by heart. You have favourite Christian worship songs or hymns. You've been volunteering in church capacity for years on years on years, but you've never actually given Jesus permission to come into your life. If that's you today, my exhortation to you above everything this morning is don't let pride keep you from Christ. Don't let what other people may think of you keep you from saying, I am a sinner in need of a saviour and crying out to Jesus for the very first time. The Bible says, seek the Lord whilst he is there to be found. Draw on him whilst he is near. Your religion won't save you. Only Christ can do that. The third barrier that we see in this woman's life is her record. This woman had a history of broken relationships. 
Jesus says to her over the course of this conversation, go and call your husband. And she replies, I have no husband. You're right. When you say you have no husbands, Jesus says, you've had five husbands. And the man you're now living with is not your husband. Her lifestyle was a deep, deep source of shame to her. We can tell that simply by the time she was out collecting water. She was out collecting water when the sun was at its hottest, where most people of that time would avoid doing manual labour like the plague. They would be away and in their houses having a siesta. But no, this woman, she is out and she is collecting water. She's there at this time to avoid the scornful looks, to avoid the gossips, to avoid the shame that people will just heap on her. I mean, can you imagine how this woman felt. 15 and a half years ago, Gemma and myself, we, we got married. And I know what you're thinking this morning. Gemma is a lucky, lucky woman. And believe me, I tell her that every single day. But I remember the time that we got married very well. I remember the night before we got married. I remember not being able to sleep the night before we got married. That was mainly due to the fact that me and my best man were up playing PlayStation for most of the night. But actually, I was incredibly, incredibly excited about the life I was about to embark on with my wife. I was full of hopes and dreams for the future and what God was going to do in our lives together and in our relationship. Can you imagine having all of those hopes and dreams dashed, not once, not twice, but five times? Can you imagine how this woman must have felt every time she got to the night before her wedding? And she would think to herself, is this going to be my happily ever after? Is this going to be the one who is going to treat me right? Is this going to be the one who I'm going to spend the rest of my life with? Only to face disappointment and heartache over and over again. To the point where she gets to in her life where she says, I'm done with this marriage, Lark. I'll just take this this guy and I'll wait for him to reject me once again. And I'll wait for it all to go wrong. But I'm not going through this once again. Her personal history is one of brokenness. Her personal life story must have been one that left her thinking, is God ever really going to be interested in me? I wonder if there are some people this morning here in the room or online who can in some way, shape or form identify with this woman. Maybe not in terms of broken relationships, but maybe in terms of the brokenness which has left you today feeling isolated from God. Maybe there are barriers in your life right now towards your faith which seem so big and so insurmountable that you're not really sure if there is a way back for you and God. Maybe this season has left you feeling so broken and so hurt with so many questions and you just don't know where to turn. Well, what our text shows us once again today is that with God, there is always, always a comeback. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your background looks like. It doesn't matter how broken your life might feel right now. Jesus Christ knows you and he seeks you. Just as he was compelled to go to Samaria on this occasion, he is compelled today to come to you and to meet with you and to restore you, to talk with you and show you once again that it's not over. 
So how does Jesus today break down the barriers in this woman's life and bring her total and utter radical life change? The first that we see in this story is that Jesus fills this woman once again with hope. We read this in verses 10 to 14. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and the one who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks from this well will thirst again. But whoever drinks from the water that I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Notice that Jesus' first response to this woman is not a response of scorn. He doesn't go for the jugular. He talks to her about something first and foremost she knows and she understands. She's at a well in order to collect water. So Jesus starts with a conversation about water. She is there to get it, and Jesus wants to give her water, which is going to change her life. And he begins by talking really about the greatest thirst in her soul. You see, this woman for her entire life had been looking for love and acceptance in all the wrong places. The world had left her feeling incredibly thirsty. But Jesus says to her that day, there is only one who can truly quench your thirst. Change does not begin with guilt. Change always begins with hope. This woman was in need of a saviour and Jesus points her to the very source of that salvation. The thirst quenching water, the living water that he can offer and that she desperately needs. Today, I wonder if there are barriers to your faith. Today, hear the hope-filled words of Jesus once again offering you living water. Today, hear the voice of Jesus say to you, it's not over. Today, hear the voice of Jesus say to you, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for good and not for evil, to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. Today, let hope Hope arise in your heart. Not because you can change your situation that you currently face or the circumstances that surround you, but because he can. And he knows the end from the beginning. The second thing that Jesus does to break down the barriers of this woman's faith, the blockages in this woman's life, is to talk candidly to her. At the point that hope begins to arise in this woman's heart, Jesus turns to her and he says, okay, now let's have a real talk. Let's talk about your situation. Let's talk about your circumstances. And he touches perhaps on what is the sorest point in her life, her broken past. Why does he do that? Surely that is an incredibly cruel thing to do. The reality is hope on its own is not enough. You see, what this woman genuinely needed was genuine life change. So Jesus lovingly and gently confronts her sin in order that she might leave that lifestyle behind once and for all. Someone once said to me, Luke, you know, the problem with your sermons is that you're always requiring action. I just want to be told that Jesus loves me. But you know what? There's a problem with that. 
Because without action, the fact that Jesus loves us is just a nice platitude. Without action, the knowledge that Jesus loves me will not anchor me in the very storms of life. Without action, the sin which so easily entangles and ensnares me will continue to bind me and continue to hold me down. And this is what Jesus is getting at here. The living water that he offers us is free. It's totally free to anyone who will come and drink of it. But it's also conditional. It requires us to leave our old lives behind, to put that to death once and for all, and to turn to him and freely drink. So church, let's talk candidly for a moment. What are the things in your life which have entangled and ensnared you over the past year or so? Are there hurts that you are holding on to? Are there broken friendships that you need to take the effort and make the step to fix? Are there grievances that you simply need to let go of? Are there sorries that you need to say? Sins that you need to confess? Today, church, I believe that Jesus wants to give each and every one of us a personal comeback in whatever way, shape or form that might mean and might need to take for you. But to do so in the midst of it, he'll fill your hope with heart Uh, your heart with hope but he will also speak candidly to you and maybe touch on some of those areas in your life which are perhaps the sorest areas not because he's being cruel but because he loves you and he wants the best for you the third thing that we see that Jesus does to break down those barriers in this woman's life is he touches upon her calling Notice that the woman's response when Jesus tells her to go and call her husband is effectively, okay, what now must I do? This is what she says in verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus touches on her sin and she effectively says to him, okay, then what must I do? What do I need to do? And Jesus says, no, no, no. It's not about what you need to do. Action is required, yes. You need to turn from your old life and come and freely drink from the water that I give you. But it's not about working and working and working in order to make yourself a better person. I am not interested in what you can do. I am interested in who I am calling you to become. You see, before this encounter that Jesus has, this woman is effectively spiritually dead. There's nothing that she can do to change her situation or circumstances. And Jesus' response to her in verse 21 is this. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is of the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For these are the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus breaks down the barriers in this woman's life by showing her that there is hope for the future. By pointing out those areas in her life that do need to change and pointing her to the person he is calling her to become. Not someone who is bound by religion or religious duty, but someone who is totally and utterly seeking after God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. And as a result, 
This woman who was scorned by her own people, who was laughed at, who was mocked, who was gossiped by those people who were supposed to be her friends and her family, who made her feel like an outcast and a nobody, left the well that day knowing that the saviour of the world was interested in her. The saviour of the world knew her, he loved her, and he had plans for her life. And as a result, she left her water bucket and she runs into the town and she tells everyone about him. Today, church, are you in need of a comeback? Allow Jesus today to break down those barriers in your life to your faith once again. Allow Jesus to speak those hope-filled words into your heart. Today, hear his voice once more, offering to quench your thirst. Don't run today, church, from those things that Jesus might be highlighting in your life that need to change. And realise once again that his primary calling upon your life is to know him, to be in relationship with him, and to love him. He's not interested in what you do, how many church services you attend, how many rotors you fulfill, what you are doing. He is interested in who you are becoming. I'm going to invite the band to come back up and I'm going to invite us in the room if you're able to stand. And let's just take a moment right now in the silence to yield our hearts before God. Allow him to speak into your life this morning. Hear the hope-filled words of Jesus telling you once again that I know you You're my child, and I can quench your thirst if you let me. Don't run this morning. Don't fight this morning. Maybe those things that even right now the Holy Spirit is beginning to remind you of and to highlight in your life. Maybe there are people that you have offended over this time. Maybe there are sins that have gone unconfessed. Maybe there are relationships that have broken down and God is saying today is the day to do something about that don't run from that but yield your heart to Jesus once again knowing that ultimately what he is calling you to be is his child we're going to sing together build my life let's use this song as a prayer as an exhortation of what God is calling us, each and every one of us to do today. And I want to encourage you as well, if you want prayer this morning for anything that we have talked about, just to make your way to the front and someone will come alongside you and they'll pray for you and with you this morning. You don't have to go into massive details about what you want prayer for unless you want to. But if you want to receive prayer this morning, 
that God might break those barriers down in your life, then I'd encourage you to come to the front. As we've been doing with the past few weeks, if you would like to receive prayer, please wear a mask as you come up. And those praying, please wear a mask as you're praying. But let's be family together today, church. Let's break down those barriers together today, church. Father God, I pray for hope to arise in this place this morning. Lord, will you fill all of our hearts with hope today? There's not one person here, I believe, who hasn't struggled in some way, shape or form over these last 18 months. There's probably not one person in this room who hasn't doubted in their faith over these past 18 months or so. So today, may this be a time of healing where we just hear your voice once again. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for words of knowledge this morning. I pray for scriptures and visions this morning. May hope arise as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.